your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The only podcast to have been described as Kafkaesque, Lovecraftian and Ballardian Brought to you by Circo's NHS Test and Trace. Um, think of it as ECW under new management. <laughs> How many uh, people so do we think got that gag? I How mean, many I pe- got none of it. How many people got all of it? Like The tagline as well, I think it was probably just us. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even convinced that everybody hosting this podcast got that joke. So um... <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I got all of it. <laughs> I'm assuming it, the ECW went shit under new management. Well, it went from it went from being you know an extreme wrestling show where they you know cussed out the crowd. Um, in in uh, many ways, in many ways, the original product was the was the true winner of the Monday Night Wars because it influenced the direction of both WCW and WWF. Yeah, I mm. mean it, it's kind of like um, in. It's like a film franchise that used to be 15 going 12A. You know, it's pretending to be the same thing, but it's not really. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, f- famously, um, the Dudley Boys, a wrestling tag team who would later be famous in the WWF, um, had a brilliant um, feud with the crowd. I believe it was in Pittsburgh. Look it up on YouTube. Um, in which for 20 minutes they berate the crowd for how ugly their children are. Um, really worth looking up. Anyway, High, cu- high cultural watermark, that. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> you, did, you didn't come here for the niche wrestling, uh, wrestling references. Uh, you came here for Stick Around, and you came here for Michael Johnson. Hello. Uh, Clive Fisher. All right. And you probably thought, well, you know, might get a little bit of Alex Wayne as well. That's me. Um, it's been a few. It's been a few weeks. This is quite a late one. Um, Michael's been washing his hair. Clive's been writing a new album. Um, do you want to tell us about that, Clive? Um. Oh God, is this where um, I say something and it gets put out? It's like oh, Clive this, reveals name of new album. This is like <laughs> er, early because I do time. have a name. Hmm. It's like early plug time, isn't it? But you, you know, early your plug personal time, plug. yeah. I do have a name, but I don't think I'm ready to release it because it might not be final yet. Um, it, I can some... say I can say this much about it. There's a bit of a blurb. It will feature purely instruments that I can play at the same time. So everything's recorded live. So no overdubbing is what I'm saying. And right. um, so basically, you won't hear 700 guitars because I couldn't possibly play 700 guitars, even though I did on the last album. But obviously, I didn't play them at the same time. <laughs> Is it? Um, um, I've heard rumours that it's been heavily inspired by uh, Steven Seagal's album "Songs from the Crystal Cave." Is there any tr- any truth to this? <laughs> um, no comment. Uh, yeah. Do you, know, um, do you know what would have been? I'll tell you what would have been amazing. Be called... <laughs> Go on, it would have been amazing if you'd come out and said it's uh, it features exclusively instruments that you can't play. That would have been a good listen. <laughs> I mean, it does feature some piano, which I'm not sure I can... So I guess I can play it. Right. <laughs> it's been a very short time. Um, and harmonica, which I would also put in the instruments that I can't play category. So yeah, there are two instruments that I'm not sure I would necessarily say I can play. 
that are on it. But they're in there. Could Seagal play all of the instruments on it? Um, <laughs> Steven Seagal can do anything. Um, <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's not put anything beyond that man. Um, I mean, Clive's good, but is he Steven Seagal? I don't know. Not uh, yet. <laughs> uh, not yet, not anyway, yeah. I couldn't jump out of a cake and take down an entire ship, if that's what you're saying. <laughs> well, life life is long, Clive, and you're in <laughs> good shape. You emerging from a cake should be the album cover, though. Just going to put that out there. <laughs> it doesn't fit with my current title, but that's why it's a work in progress. Great ideas like this might influence the title. Okay, well, straight out, straight out of cake. Yep. If that happens, just send me the check. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy's coming straight out of cake. This guy's <laughs> straight out of Eagles Cliff. Michael Johnson, what are you going to start us with? All right, okay. Um, I'm going to start off with... I'm uh, uh, going to talk about two albums today, so I'll start off with the first of those. An album released earlier this year, which I've just been listening to recently uh, quite a bit. It's uh, Grey by Moses Sumney, the American musician. Uh, released his, This is his second album. Released the debut Aromanticism in 2017, which was one of the most acclaimed records of that year. Um, it's a, that was a sort of soulful indie and R&B record. It was quite slippery and difficult to pin down, I thought. Uh, and the concept of it, I think, was quite interesting because it was um, it was basically written as an anti-romance album uh, thematically. And I think that, that gets to uh, something of Sumney's character, as does the fact that for the recording of this second album uh, prior to it, he relocated from Los Angeles to Asheville, North Carolina, which I think strikes me as quite an unfashionable sort of choice. And I think both of these things I've just mentioned um, sum up um, his approach to making music. I'd say he seems very undeterred by normal expectations very much treads his own path, which is always uh, always appealing, I think. This album, it's 65 minutes long, um, so you know it's not the longest album ever recorded, but it is something of a behemoth, I think, in the sense that it's ultra-collaborationist. There's a vast array of musicians across the album, uh, some of whom I wasn't even aware were musicians, figures who have featured more commonly in film um, there's a whole list of people you can look up who've appeared somewhere in this album. But the whole thing's channeled very much through Sumney's unique vision and approach to music. Uh, this one, I think even more so than the debut album, is a genre big bang. It's a blend of indie rock, a bit of jazz influence, R&B again, even a little bit of classical. And on, I think, possibly my favourite track of the album, um, which is certainly one of the most singular ones, Conveyor, it's almost a futurist industrial rock style song that sounds like it's been produced by Arca. I think it's one of the most exciting things on the record. Uh, Sumney is certainly blessed with a mesmeric voice, which for me is reminiscent of Prince. And I think an even I can even pay an even bigger compliment by saying that the entire album um, almost is evocative of, and the entire direction of it is evocative of if Prince had continued to make. Uh, such probing music as he did beyond the 80s and 90s. Uh, the whole thing's really characterised by serpentine rhythms and riffs uh, and is always very interesting and innovative in a musical sense. This, this album had a very unique release strategy as well. It was basically released in two parts. The first half of it came out digitally at the start of the year, around about February, March, 
and the second half followed in May when the whole album as a total package was released physically. The second half is more reminiscent of a romanticism, I think, but not in a bad way. Uh, and I think the the un, the unusual release strategy um, sort of divides the album into two parts where it wasn't really necessary. I think when you listen to it as one, if it had been released as one, as if it had been released as one, then it really flows um, together perfectly seamlessly. It's It feels like we look for this theme now in everything that we listen to, but there is a theme of isolation, uh, and more specifically, the concept of being islanded, which I liked and think spoke to me uh, quite directly through a number of spoken word segments that are interspersed throughout the album. And there's also an element of race involved there as a theme, um, which I think is... Uh, is certainly an overriding theme these days with certain artists, as it should be. If I was going to predict the trajectory of Sumney's career, I would say that it's probably more, it's probably more likely that uh, his work will grow to become uh, perhaps more accessible, maybe more mainstream, and I think he has the talent to handle that, undoubtedly. And it feels almost like some of these opening records will be looked back on as gems, uh, that were a little bit different to later stuff, but I could be completely wrong. Maybe he'll continue to uh, flow down a very interesting and uh, and unique direction. I think the nature of contemporary music and where we look for innovation in contemporary music, it's quite challenging to find anything new, which I think is something that I've expressed before and we've discussed before. Um, but that isn't to say that there aren't a whole host of artists who really don't respect walls between genres and they're melding a lot of things together to thrilling effect. And I think that applies to Sumney, who is a very exciting artist, in my opinion. Only two albums, but they're both very good. I think this is the superior one, which is even better. Uh, and I think, you know, it, he, he really has a handle on and is uh, almost, if not a master of multiple genres, but a master of moving between different styles and making the whole thing feel natural and for me this is one of the uh, this is one of the strong records released during the year Wow, that is quite an endorsement um, you won't be surprised to hear I'm not familiar with this um, maybe Clive is Clive, any thoughts? Um, I'm not familiar with it but I've heard of it because it's on my list to listen to for this year which I'm starting to get to now because of um I've decided to have you know a week a week's break now and again in my ridiculous 1975 challenge because I find while I'm doing it I listen to nothing but stuff from whatever year I'm in, which is great, but um, is is making it hard to keep up with the current year. So I had one of those weeks this week and I spent it, it characteristically making a list um, of stuff to listen to. This is on it, so I'm excited to hear it, and it's gone further up because of um, your wonderful. Uh, Recommendation of it there, Michael. It sounds great. I'm pretty excited about it. I didn't really. It's one of those that I looked at because I often get them from Rate Your Music. So I see the uh, genre and I hadn't read a review about it. So I had very little idea. So it's also good to hear what it's all about. Yeah. No, well, I'd, I'd already got a romanticism, but I hadn't got around to listening to this one yet until just recently, the last few weeks or so. Um, but I think I think you'll like it, definitely. Remind me of the title, Michael. It's, it's grey, but it's spelled G R A E. All right, I'm gonna give it a download. You know, this is um, 
it's not always um, you know a genre I'm that great with, but well, I it's you know. Do you think yeah, I like I think, it? I don't know. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I think you like you like stuff that's. Um, I think songs that um, aren't so amorphous, they're more fully formed, so I'm not sure if you'll fully enjoy this. But I'd love to hear, because I know you sometimes download things I talk about on the pod and then I don't hear about them again. I know one was uh, Stare Into Death and Be Still by the New Zealand technical death metal giants, (laughs) Ulcerate, and uh, I don't remember hearing your thoughts on that. Um, Well, let me see. Are they on my Apple Music? Yes, they are. I've not listened to them, but uh, I did download them. Um, That, that's, that's what I was very life. intrigued to hear about. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give that a listen and I'm going to review that on the next pod. Can't wait. <laughs> Excellent. I'll probably make sure to try and listen to it before then as well because it's also on my list. Cool. Right. Um, okay. You've already heard him plug his new album. Uh, is he going to be plugging what he's talking about today? That is the question. Uh, Clive, can you answer that for me? That is the question. I can answer it, but in a really long-winded way. Please do. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I'm going to talk about Dune, a book, famous book by Frank Herbert, um, which is a delightful name. I don't know why, but I like it. Uh, which is a book, it's a very famous science fiction book from 1965. Um, apparently originally published as two serials, I'm just learning right now. Not serials, you know, not like crunchy. Not, <laughs> on the back of, back of a box of Frosties. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way this is fitting on the back of a box of Frosties. Now, that would be an unconventional release strategy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got to make you get, get your way through about 360 uh, packs of Frosties just to find out what happens. <laughs> Frank, Frank Herbert's June. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to say it. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Um, apparently won a Hugo Award, but it was tied for a Hugo Award and also won a Nebula Award, which is a very science fiction sounding name for for an award. Um, so yeah, big, uh, very famous book. I believe there's a planet, I can't remember which planet, that all its moons get named after things in this book. Um, I'm sure it might tell me somewhere on Wikipedia, but I can't be asked to find it now. Uh, so yeah, it's quite a big, uh, a big name in the zeitgeist, shall we say. It's quite a long book, 400 pages long, but I obviously listened to the audio book. Which was not, which you couldn't put into pages because the concept doesn't work. Um, but it, you can put it into hours instead, twenty hours. It is. Um, June is about so obviously science fiction. So it's set in. I don't know what time it's set in actually. To be honest, I don't think it really matters. But it's set on a um, sort of in a space space uh, space people. You know, there's the space people around. They live on different planets, that kind of thing. There's a big emperor. Um, he sends a family, uh, the Atreides family, who are led by Leto, I believe he's called, uh, the Duke, to a planet called Arrakis, where he is to take charge. Uh, the planet Arrakis is the, um, also called Dune. Uh, it's just like a desert planet. And it has melange on it, which is not a um, set of things as it is in French, I think. Um, you could say you had a nice melange of fruit probably couldn't probably change it <laughs> no but yeah, anyway that works <laughs> okay good good um it's not that it's a spice which like basically makes you really um eight you know great reactions great uh mainly just sharp really sharp intellect but it's also addictive maybe um, you could have a, a melange of melange then <laughs> <laughs> you maybe you could maybe <laughs> yeah maybe I'll, I'll ask frank i'll get him on the blower <laughs> after this i'll go mate <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, there's, there's this spice which is obviously super expensive because it's really uh, it's really good, some good shit. Um, you do get addicted to it. So yeah, he's going. To, he's, his family goes to this desert planet. There's the um, Fremen who are sort of um, live on the planet. They're the indigenous uh, people to the planet, and there's kind of a. The Emperor's shady tactics. There's also Harkonnens who are like the bad house um, because one of them speaks like Darth Vader. If you listen to the audiobook, so you immediately know he's bad, um, which is good. Bit I like, like that kind of thing. Bit like you on the last podcast. Bit like me on the last podcast. He's like, yes, talk like this. My name is, I've forgotten his name, Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> um, yeah, so so they're the, the bad house uh, and they're just just trying to fuck shit up all the time. Obviously, they're evil and they just want to own all the spice and they just want everyone else to die and they don't care about anyone's welfare. Whereas House um, Atreides, the good house, a bit more, bit more like, yeah, we're all about the welfare, um, but we also like a bit of spice. So, yeah, there's a bit of a battle. Um, it's, it, it's a weird one because I thought about this. I thought I've been wanting to read it for ages because I love space and I really like sci-fi things and generally the two line up. Um, and this one is a bit was a bit fantasy for me to be honest. Um, there's 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 people called Benny Jesuits who can like read people's minds and they train themselves to read minds and they know the future already and they can like just persuade people by saying things. All of that is a thing in Star Wars. To be fair, um, you know, drop the gun. She can say stuff like that if you use the voice. Uh, you can basically get whoever you want to do anything. And there's a lot of sort of more mystical stuff to it like that than maybe like a standard sci-fi. Um, I'm trying to think of an example now, but I can't. I'm being like Alien. Obviously, there's an alien, but the rest of it, there's not like magical shit going on. She's not like Alien. Eject yourself, and then it just does it. She has to use a gun. <laughs> and as we all know, we've, if you want to get something done, you have to use a gun. Um, you want to get it done properly. Yep. If you want to get it done <laughs> properly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, there was a, that was a little bit disappointing. I did like the. It's very expansive. It's um, it's not. It's just set on this one planet, but it is, you know, there's lots of houses going on, there's lots of things going on. But it isn't, the story does focus largely on different elements in terms of, there's not that many different elements. It's quite easy to keep uh, control of what's going on. I wasn't confused and I get easily confused with this kind of stuff when it's like p- politics and political sci fi stuff. I get really confused with like what the motives are and who that bloke was and which house he belongs to and why he's doing that and who he's just done a deal with and all that kind of stuff. There isn't too much of that here, fairly straightforward. Um, but also, it, uh, I don't know, it just felt a little bit predictable as I, as I went through it. Didn't I really liked the the audiobook version? It was well done. Like the acting and stuff was cheesy, but it kind of needed to be for this. It felt like that kind of thing, and it felt a bit like Lord of the Rings in space, um, which was fine. But uh, I don't know. I'm hoping that the film, which I think it probably is, the film by is it Denis Villeneuve is going to be a bit better, it, which it is coming is. out this year. I <laughs> um, can't. I can't wait for that. By the way. Um, I mean, it looks the trailer makes the film look good anyway, but the fact it's a Denis Villeneuve film has me salivating. Uh, and what a cast! Denis I do Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Look at this guy, Denny. Denny. <laughs> I hope well, he plays. Know, um, I, I hope he uses that Max Richter Henry, tune again at one yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> Denny Villeneuve. Uh, yeah, I love him too, and he's great at sci-fi, so he should nail this. And I think actually it'll work better as a film, because I think one of my criticisms of the book is probably it was a bit longer in bits than it needed to be. And in fact, this is something that I think people love about it, but for me it was a bit of a negative. Um, Frank Herbert like built this plan. He obviously you know, is one of these people who 
in this room, he probably had paper all over the wall with the law of the world on it um, and, you know, the intricacies of how a still suit works, which is a suit that... Um, so on Arrakis, should have mentioned, water is obviously really scarce, so it's basically the most valuable resource, a little bit like on uh, Mad Max. Um, and they have these suits that basically regurgitate the water back into themselves so that you drink it through. It's lovely. Um, so you don't lose loads of water. But And, and he, he spends about... Well, I'm assuming is I wasn't reading it, so it was an audiobook. Probably about five pages explaining this, the intricacies of the still suit, which was interesting. Uh, but I didn't need five pages on it. I was just the concept would have done. Um, but I think some people like that kind of detail, and he goes into that kind of detail on a lot of things, um, explaining you know how the mind reading stuff works and all that. And I didn't personally didn't find that as interesting. But I think it's purely just because I wasn't because the world was a little bit magical. Um, I was turned off a little bit. Had it been completely sci-fi and not uh, no sort of magic stuff going on, I think I would have been way more into it and I probably would have liked that kind of intricate detail. So I think this is a case of um, just a, a preference thing where that thing really disappointed me and the story of the book didn't kind of overcome that. I still enjoyed it um, and I'm glad I've read it, but I didn't love it as much as I thought I would, whereas I've spent most of my life thinking, I need to read June, I'm going to love it. Um, and I just thought it was all right. But I think if you're into that kind of thing, if you're into the Lord of the Rings fantasy stuff, and maybe you're not into the space stuff, maybe this is more your, maybe this is your entry point because of space. But really, it's just Lord of the Rings in disguise. Mm. Okay, cool. I mean, I, a bit like you, I've been meaning to read this for ages, but I tend to put off things that are classic status um, for newer ones. Um, I'm massively excited about the film, and I probably will read the book eventually. Um, but I'm a bit like you. I'm not as much into the, the law of things, unless it's done a certain way. Um, so the um, Song of Ice and Fire books or Game of Thrones books are a bit of an anomaly for me in terms of huge world building with, you know, its own huge universe. Um, I mean... The, the sci-fi series that I'm most disappointed has not been adapted yet and, and was set to be adapted um, is uh, Ian M. Banks's Culture series, which for me is still the best example of uh, sci-fi literature out there. Um, hugely ambitious, you know, thematically, but, you know, cinematic as well. Uh, but it's long been considered unadaptable. It, it was going to be made into a... TV show series by Amazon. Um, apparently, Jeff Bezos is a fan, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> which is unfortunate, really, because it just goes to show that you know, just because you're a horrible person doesn't mean you've got horrible taste. Uh, Elon Musk as well, apparently. Um, yeah, but no, I, I'd be quite excited to to read June, and I hundred percent will be seeing the film. Um, will, will this put you off seeing the film at all, Clive? No, no, absolutely not. I think I think the film's probably going to be great, and he, it's Denny Villeneuve, and he's great. So, as we've already said, but and I think the the weakness for me was that it spent a bit too much on the law, which I think the film won't do. And it's probably the same. I reckon if I read Lord of the Rings now, I probably wouldn't be as into it as I was as a kid because it's a bit too fantastical. And I think the book probably spends a lot of time on that stuff as well, which is probably part of the reason why it's so long. Although I don't remember, so I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I think the film's going to be great because it'll probably cut out a lot of the stuff that doesn't need as much time and there are some really good uh, bits in the film which I think will make really good set pieces um, in the book sorry that will make really good set pieces in a film and I think the setting and stuff could just be done really really well and the it's the kind of film that I've not seen I want to see even though 
like I say, I was a bit lukewarm on the book. I do still want to see eight, the one in 84, was it? Which I know was mixed reviews, but it's kind of a bit of a... Um, is that David Lynch? David Lynch, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a like famous flop, isn't it, I think? And yeah. I kind of want to see it. Um, so I want to Pat- check that out as well. And there's a, Pat- there's a documentary about it as well, isn't there? Which I also want to see. But <laughs> Apparently, it's, it's a classic example of a an auteur filmmaker basically being forced to take on a big project in order to finance his other projects. Um, mm. Apparently, that used to be common studio practice. It's like, you know, we like you, we want to make your films, but you're going to have to do one for us now. Um, and okay. It sounds like it was probably the wrong choice. You know, David Lynch is not in filmmaking to make big franchise films. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that's there you go. what's interesting about that is he wouldn't even have been that far into his directing career, was he, at that point? I don't believe so. No, I think he'd made one or two films. Um, offhand, I don't know, but um, yeah, that, that's my understanding of it anyway. Yeah. That would make sense. I think there's going to be two Dune films, isn't there? I believe this uh, is the first of two coming up. Yeah, I understand. Well, there's. Um, I should have mentioned it. This is the first of. Well, there's loads of books, but I think there's like four or five famous ones that follow this. So maybe they're going to do all of those. I don't know. Or maybe they're just putting this the book into two films. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's Next just the one's... first book, yeah. But, um, oh, okay. But, I mean, I've, I've not read the book, and I didn't really know anything about it until the uh, the new trailer came out. Uh, I knew about Lynch directing the original adaptation, but I didn't really know, know much about the actual story. Uh, but when I saw the trailer, it instantly became my most anticipated film, I think, which isn't a crowded field at the moment, because we know, obviously, cinema's <laughs> in, a, in a strange place. Um, mm-hmm. But the cast is incredible. Uh, the film looks astonishing, and finding out that Villeneuve directed it was, is a sort of punch the air moment because Blade Runner twenty forty nine was outstanding. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though everyone knows my controversial opinion about the arri- uh, the ending of Arrival, it oh. uh, it looked and felt amazing as a film. So it just feels like it's in the right hands, um, and yeah, it's extremely exciting. I think I have a controversial opinion on that for you, Michael, or at least it will be to you. Um, and I don't mean this as a, as a diss to Tenet at all, but I think Denis Villeneuve in Arrival handled the concept of nonlinear time better than Tenet did. Oh. Physical wins, though. Um, I'm not alone <laughs> in that as well. In fact, I think I might be in the You're majority. backed off by Jeff. Oh. I was hoping you were going to call on Jeff, Jeff Bezos as your backup. Oh, no, fuck that. Um, you just reminded <laughs> me of something now... When, when I was talking about David Lynch doing Dune, um, there's a famous story uh, about a director who um, was forced to do a ridiculous kind of Sharknado-style film. Um, now, I can't remember what it was, but um, it was something to do with like a mechanical dinosaur. And all I can think of is Truchosaurus, but apparently that's from The <laughs> Simpsons. But basically, he asked his wife, you know, should I do this movie? And she says, yes, you should absolutely do Truchosaurus. Not the actual name, but... Um, and he says, well, why should I do it? And she says, so you don't have to make Truchosaurus 2. So the idea is, you know, you get yourself in there, you you know, you eat the bowl of shit mm-hmm. so that you're, you're getting a nicer second course. Um, <laughs> for the life of me, I can't find the real name of that film. But I'd watch uh, a Villeneuve-directed Dinosaur Nerdo. <laughs> yeah, you... definitely. A Dini Villeneuve Truchosaurus, would you, would you watch that? Tru- yes, a truck yes, versus I a dinosaur. In oh, fact, apparently. well, what about what? What did we, didn't we come up with this recently? Wasn't it Rocky versus a dinosaur? I'd watch him direct that. 
I just imagine um, Rocky gets eaten by the T-Rex, but then punches his way out of his stomach, you know. <laughs> I, I was more imagining, like, Rocky t- takes in, like, because he's obviously probably old at this point, um, gets put inside a mech um, ah, and okay. uses his boxing knowledge to outbox a T-Rex using a mech. Um, yeah, I'm not... Rocky wasn't much of a tactician, was he, though? He's more of a, a slugger, you know, just a... You know, he's got heart. He's got heart, heart. You know, yeah. <laughs> what hey, if? Man. What if Rocky gets merged with a T Rex, right? And fights, like a, trans- like and fights a Transformer. Uh, I love it. Um, <laughs> can we? Who, who's playing the Transformer? Um, I don't know. Have you got anyone in Which mind? One is it? <laughs> um, I think it's got to be somebody with with you know like a big voice. You mm. know, like um, mm. so uh, you know what about big- Brian Blessed. <laughs> and I, he's he, he's up there, but I, I need someone with a big voice, but also a bit of you know timbre. Uh, you know, I need someone with. The... <laughs> I think we should just have no timbre. I, I really like the idea of Brian Blessed being a transformer. Okay, let's go with Blessed. I, yeah, we'll go I with reckon. Blessed. I reckon whoever would genuinely be uh, picked to direct this film, if it was real, would never use the word timbre. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> no. Hey, have we got someone with any timbre in the voice? <laughs> Yeah, I've got Arnold here. <laughs> um, well, anyway, back to the book, Clive. Um, I, wasn't June the first in the series of books, or am I making that up? No, that's right, yeah. I think there's five yeah. more. It's a bit confusing, because I think there's also a load of prequels, but I don't know if they were afterwards. Are you going to be dealt- reading any of them? Um, I don't know. I might. Well, I think if the films, if the films carry on, and I really like the films, and they carry on doing them, I might carry on reading them as well. If you know what I mean. Okay. Um, but he, we'll see. Did he write so, anything else, or has he has he just come to be? Did he write other stuff, and he's just come to be defined by this, like George R. R. Martin? Um, it's a good question. I can't imagine he had loads of other t- time to write other stuff. That <laughs> yeah, many, it doesn't sound there's like that it. many books of it. But um, um, I'll look him up. Frank Herbert. Yeah. Okay. Oh, one of his. Um, bibliography. Let's see how many of these have got June in the title. Um, Did you say bibliography? Because that would have been an amazing wordplay. Yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't. But. <laughs> I thought you said bibliography. Um, oh, love it. Didn't. It looks like he might have just done June. This is the worst bibliography I've ever seen. It's not a bibliography, it's a paragraph. <laughs> wow. I mean, fuck's sake. <laughs> Anyway, so that'll remain a. It looks like he's probably only just only written June, but do write in if that's incorrect, because I can't be bothered to look further. Live research, live research. Okay, um, well we're going to move on to me now. Um, I'm going to be talking about something that's not new at all from 2013, um, although it's inspired by something that's new. So I'm going to talk about the Channel Four TV show Utopia. Um, the reason I'm going to talk about this is because it's just been adapted into an American remake uh, that's literally just gone on to Amazon Prime. Um, I'd forgotten how much I loved Utopia, so that, spoiler alert, this is going to be a positive review, and I wanted to uh, go back to it. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Utopia is a sci-fi comic book action thriller series um, starring Fiona O'Shaughnessy, Adil Akhtar, Paul Higgins, um, Alexandra Roach, Al- Alistair Petrie and Neil Maskell. Um, it's created by someone called Dennis Kelly, who's more famous for the sitcom Pulling. 
Um, a brief summary would be to say that members of an online forum dedicated to a cult graphic novel named Utopia become entangled in a conspiracy web involving Big Pharma and the government after an, a, a Utopia Part 2 emerges. Um, before I kind of go on, uh, did anybody else watch this? No, I've not even really heard of it, but it sounds interesting. No, I've well, never seen it. Well, the way I would describe it is it, it was kind of part of a wave of ambitious Channel 4 TV shows um, starting probably in the late uh, noughties, all with a kind of sci-fi thriller edge to them. Um, examples of which would be Misfits, uh, Humans, Dead Set, um, the very early seasons of Black Mirror, uh, and more recently, The End of the Fucking World. Um, they, they, they're all inspired by kind of Americana, inspired by um, classic uh, American sci-fi and thriller series. But they kind of lean heavily into kind of true-to-life modern Britain, uh, or at least kind of the more urban progressive side. Um, they kind of embrace the kind of the banality of some parts of British life. Um, you know, architecture that isn't literally brutalist, but is um, kind of could be celebrated that way for its functionality it's you know it's ugly nature uh, think ian ramsey school michael uh, or at least before the upgrade um you know corner shops greasy spoon cafes but shot with such a uh, a, a loving you know touch you know great cinematography that um the places are romanticized um all of the season all of the shows i've talked about there uh, certainly buy into that um Utopia is kind of part thriller, uh, very dark comedy at times. Definitely comic styled in terms of the the way it's shot, um, the color palette. Uh, incredibly scored, by the way, by someone called Christa, Cristobal Tapia de Villa. Um, it's one of those shows that was controversial at the time. In fact, it involved I won't spoil too much, but it involves quite a brutal school shooting scene, um, which wasn't copied in the American remake, as I understand. Um, Utopia kind of understands the nature of what makes graphic novels, quote-unquote, um, popular. And it takes clear inspiration from Preacher. Um, and by that, I mean the, the graphic novel series, not the Amazon TV show. It's kind of hyper-violent, uh, but the actions have real consequences. And um, you can't, in, in, in a style of Game of Thrones, I suppose, you can't assume that uh, people will get out of impossible situations. Um, the characters are very bold and memorable as well. There is um, the unfortunately named Wilson Wilson, a uh, conspiracy theorist nut who uh, knows how to dislocate his thumbs to get out of um, handcuffs. You've got the 11-year-old Grant who, on the online forum, had been posing as a 24-year-old stockbroker who shags supermodels. Um, and you've got the kind of clearly Sarah Connor-inspired... Uh, Jessica Hyde, kind of almost a female Terminator. Uh, but the real character I want to highlight is Terminator-esque as well, uh, played by Neil Maskell. Is, is anyone familiar with what Neil Maskell looks like? No, don't think so. Well, Neil Maskell, you'll have seen him in things. He's definitely been in quite a few Ben, ben Wheatley products. But Neil Maskell is one of those blokes who looks like he's probably a Spurs fan. Gets a uh, has a you know has a fried breakfast every single uh, week. He's not that tall. He's got a gut on him. He's got that kind of crudely gelled down um, hair. 
this character in particular, who's known as um, RB, or otherwise known as Raisin Boy, uh, walks with a limp, breathes extremely heavily. He's kind of a Cockney Dad Terminator, is the best way I could describe him. <laughs> He's constantly on the hunt for the main characters, and he kills and tortures with uh, no real emotion in a kind of dulcet Cockney tone. Uh, and he th- he's the highlight of this for me. To me, this is a uniquely British show, but not in the sense that a lot of people would think of classic British take TV as. People think about stuff from you know the seventies, or they think about um, almost procedural British shows. This is inventive. It's clearly inspired by Americana, but it's uniquely British. And I'm interested to see what the um, American remake is like. It's been penned by Gillian Flynn, who's uh, probably most famous for writing Gone Girl and uh, Sharp Objects. And it's got a big cast. It's got John Cusack in. It's got Rain Wilson, who's probably more famous for the American version of The Office. Um, but p- a part of me is extremely sceptical whether this can capture the kind of the modern Britain aspect that is reflected in the original Utopia. Um I was a huge fan of this originally, and I'm I'm not all the way through my rewatch, but um, I'm, I'm riveted again. It, it it's such good fun, um, and it's it's challenging, and it has unique characters you wouldn't see anywhere else. Um, I, I, obviously, you hadn't really heard of the original show. Had anyone heard of the the remake? No, I can't say so. The I've got a feeling that. I heard someone saying that the original show, which you've just glowingly reviewed, was was, was crap. Who, told, a, who said that? I've got a funny feeling it was Frankie Boyle, who is a big graphic novel fan. I know. Well, um, I don't. I can't remember what his objections were, or if it was definitely this show. I've got a feeling it was though, so I can't really say well, much. But if he thought he was crap, he's he's bloody wrong. But um, <laughs> right, yeah. No, I, I love this show. Um, I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but um, I I absolutely loved it. Um, and like like I said, I think it's. I'm not sure if you know what I mean um, by that that kind of Channel Four young that, British shows. I do, yeah. I think it's it's like an idealized um, interpretation of what Channel Four makes, but which they do sometimes make. You know, they do sometimes strike that. Um, yeah. Even if even if they don't, I think it's it's sort of like they, that's the ethos they were set up. Uh, within um, yeah. and so- sometimes it's paid off more so than it can on other channels I know what you mean uh, and the casting choices um, they're extremely diverse yeah, um, you know racially and gender wise and sexuality but it never feels like it's a forced casting choice um, yeah. I mean I-, I dare say you could find some right alt-right trolls out there who'd probably criticise it for that but um to me, it reflects modern urban Britain, and um, you know, and, and like I said, not in a politically correct way. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with political correctness, but um, this is just—it's it, so natural. Um, and I, I don't think any other, you know, channel could have come up with the, that that list of shows. I mean, Black Mirror is obviously outstanding. I know we're, we're all fans of that. Um, I loved Humans. Um, the End of the Fucking World, more recently, you know, BAFTA and Emmy winning, uh, brilliant show. Uh, I haven't seen Misfits, but I understand it's got a, you know, a huge collection of fans. Um, yeah, I, I would heartily recommend it, um, especially if you're looking for something that's a bit different. And if you, okay, I don't know if you go through this, but I occasionally do want to watch something that is British. 
sometimes I get, you know, we're always watching things from America. And don't get me wrong, they're a continent. And they've got a violent, diverse society, which makes for great drama and um, incredible geographic locations. But sometimes you want to watch something that reflects, you know, what it's like at home. And um, don't get me wrong, I don't live in an existence where a dad body Terminator, Cockney Terminator is coming to get me, but, um, you know... <laughs> Thanks for clarified. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the absurdity, there is a lot of British life reflected in this. I, I'm a big fan, anyway. Well, yeah, obviously, things don't have to be direct, uh, directly referenced to real life in order to reflect them, do they? So, um, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay. It sounds really interesting. I'm going to add this to my list. Yeah, because I liked um, I liked humans, although I don't think I've seen the second series, if there is one. Out of the three, um, actually. Oh, right. Well, I've not seen either of the, well, the the following two. There's only two seasons of Utopia, and they're only six episodes long. So, oh. essentially, you could watch both of them for the same length you'd watch one season of anything. And they're not making any more of it either. So, obviously, they've made this adaptation, but you know, um, it'd be up your street in that respect. Yeah, definitely. That sounds great. Okay. Um, moving on, probably to something a bit more here and now. Michael Johnson, what have you got for us? Well, how about an album that came out two weeks ago? Is that here and now enough? Pretty here, pretty now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I do that, actually, can uh, if we if we have uh, legitimate ideas for what your album might be called, Clive, can we guess it? Guess it, because I've got one. Okay, go for it. Is it called He Puts the Live in Clive? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Worth a shot. Worth a shot, wasn't it? Okay. I don't know if the title will refer to the, the live nature of it. Okay, yeah. Well, if it does, then you saw I don't it, know then. if it counts. Does that count? I think it counts as live, doesn't it? Because I spent an entire... I've listened to a Nina Simone album. I can't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. It was very good. And it said... Um, down all the track listings, it said live next to it, and but there was never any crowd noise. And then when I looked into it, I think they were just studio recordings, but I think that's they must the, have just been done completely live or something. I don't know. Very odd. That's the thing. When you think of a live album, you always think of a gig, don't you? But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. But yeah, I'm going to talk about an album from two weeks ago. I've talked about them on the podcast recently a little bit. Uh, everything, everything. Their new album, Reanimator. I'm going to talk about them again. They are one of uh, the best bands in Britain right now, if not uh, further beyond. A couple of podcasts back, I talked about uh, their 2013 album, Ark, which was their second album. Uh, They're now on to their fifth album. I talked about how that album, compared to the the more recent albums, Get to Heaven and A Fever Dream, felt a little bit subdued, even though it still wore a lot of the band's trademarks. And... this new album still has a lot of explosive moments, uh, a lot of explosive energy to it, but it feels like it's more strongly harnessed than on previous albums to me, a bit more measured, and I think that's reflective of the gro- their growing confidence as a band. There's big thematic differences between this album and the most recent ones. Uh, it's a lot less paranoid and dystopian. The previous couple of albums, lyrically, were reflections of the turbulence and turmoil of the political and social age that we're living through. This one, I mean, uh, frontman Jonathan Higgs expressed how he got sick of living like that and writing about things like that. 
And this one is about the psychological concept of the bicameral mind. It's a sort of exploration of the history of human consciousness through its lyrics. Um, I think the the vocal writing by Higgs is... It basically mirrors the music in the sense that... Um, you know, again, it does feel a bit more a bit more harnessed, but it still features some of his uh, typical tongue twisters. He's always had a sort of madcap lyricism where he, he sort of crams crams phrases and words into uh, uh, into the bars that he's working with. I think one of my favourite examples on the new album is uh, "Lily Livid Living in the Holocene Way" from the track "Moonlight," just for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, this the album I think compared to some of the more recent ones features more slow burning melodies but they are equally insistent as they had been on previous albums uh, the opening tracks Lost Powers and Big Climb are good examples of that uh, it would be remiss not to mention the philosophy of poptimism of which Everything Everything are one of the leading purveyors uh, for the uninformed poptimism is basically the belief that pop music or pop influenced music is just as worthy of critical analysis as rock music is. And that has become a dominant vein of thought in the last decade, I would say. Um, And it's typified by bands like Everything Everything and the 1975, who are just as influenced by Michael Jackson as they are by Radiohead, uh, and bring a lot of the production techniques and songwriting styles of pop music into what is theoretically a rock-based setup. Uh, everything everything of course their name their very name as a band reflects the opening two words of the game-changing track everything in its right place by radiohead from the equally game-changing album kid a so you can see that influence uh, directly there uh, i mentioned this specifically because the third track on this album it was a monstering which is a brilliant title uh features a very lofty kinetic riff that is their most clearly reminiscent riff of any of Radiohead uh, in their entire catalogue. Uh, brings to mind a few different Radiohead tracks from the Hail to the Thief in Rainbow's sort of era, uh, specifically Arpeggi, Weird Fishes, and They're There. There's a definitely an electronic uh, thread running through this album, I think more so than some of their previous work, even though electronic influence and sheen is inevitable when you're dabbling in poptimist areas. So that's exemplified here by Arch Enemy, uh, a track about a sentient fatberg, no less, which is, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, with a, a brilliant accompanying video that uh, reflects that concept. That's what, I've, been, I've been called a sentient fatberg before. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that's the most danceable moment here um, but it still reflects the uh, more guitar based uh, elements of their sound it has a very math math rocky sort of climax to it uh, Planets is another track with uh, with a lot of synthetic influence and in Birdsong uh, which also has an unforgettable electronic melody uh, threaded throughout it is a gorgeous crescendoing number which i think really is a is a threat to the uh the ta- is to no reptiles is title as the the strongest everything everything song uh that track from the previous album get to heaven which has always been my favorite not saying it will be unseated by in birdsong but this is a this is a superb song i think the strongest on this album and then the closing track violent sun which was the most recently released single from the album or at least pr- 
immediately prior to the release of the record is one of their most accessible and triumphant numbers ever and feels like a very appropriate choice to close out this album uh, it's a really great track I um, I mean I think this album this album clocked in at number 5 on the UK charts um, and Everything Everything have had their share of Ivan Novello Award nominations Mercury Prize nominations they haven't won either of, of those awards yet but I still feel like they're a little bit under the radar not really getting quite as much recognition as I think personally they, they could be <clears throat> but uh, we'll see we'll see how that develops as they continue uh, I think there's still a lot of great work to come from this band uh, I just want to mention in relation to this and specifically in relation to obviously having mentioned Poptimism uh, I've been in quite a listicle mood this week and we love listicles don't we on this podcast we do. of course we do absolutely so well I, re- I counted that I've I've heard a total of 47 of the 200 of Pitchfork's 200 greatest albums of the 60s uh, for example so I'd like to I'd like to keep adding to that um, I know this is very much in keeping with some of the stuff Clive's been doing recently as well uh, and also this week Rolling Stone uh, redid their top 500 albums of all time which is basically done by polling various figures in the music industry it's been a very interesting development because uh, the upper echelons of the new list significantly diversify compared to previous um, manifestations of the list, uh, which I think is a very good thing. Uh, and you can see there's a clear leaning to what I what I mentioned earlier uh, towards a more poptimist um, rather than rockist approach. Um, some of the albums up there are albums that are equally right at the top of the list are albums that are equally beloved of both camps such as Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys and Rumours by Fleetwood Mac and the only reason I'm specifically mentioning this really is t- as, as a reflection of the uh, the way music has altered perhaps subtly um, and perhaps without a lot of people necessarily realising it but certainly in the academic music community um, this this sort of change has been very apparent in recent years and I think everything everything are one of the leading uh, bands at the forefront of that sort of change even if again they are going slightly under radar but I I do really like this new album uh, and it's a great addition to their arsenal I'm not really that familiar with everything everything Um, I, I do know them I've listened to plenty of songs but maybe they just haven't really clicked with me maybe they won't Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're going to see them pretty soon, aren't you? Supposed to be, yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be in March, although I suspect that's going to be delayed again. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one of these bands I can appreciate it good, but just I need an earworm. Um, I'm not sure uh, you always do, but for me, I need an earworm, and I, just, I don't get it necessarily from them. Uh, but maybe I just haven't listened to them enough. Really? Because uh, yeah, maybe I could uh, recommend you some tracks because I think they come. I think they come bearing earworms for sure. Okay, okay. Clive, are you a fan, or do you know of them? I know of them, but I've just not listened to enough. I heard um, a song on the radio the other day that I liked. I can't remember which one it was. But, yes, I need to listen to more, and Michael's um, promotion there has made me (laughs) definitely add it to the list of stuff to listen to from this year. So, yeah, I'll check it out. That's another thing I wanted to mention, really, in relation to lists. I think this year already has been incredible, and there are a lot of... Of top album releases that are really interesting to me coming up. Uh, the other day, I just got hold of seven new albums. I can think of a, 
at least that many that are coming out in the next few weeks. I think at the end of this year, this is going to be uh, an outstanding year. And it's really been something that's uh, <clears throat> kept me going in a year that's been very difficult culturally and otherwise. Uh, music has been... We, we've been robbed of live music, obviously, but recorded music has been absolutely on point, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, there's certainly... <clears throat> the more I get into it, the more I'm realising just how good a year it's been, So, which is making me more keen to <laughs> check it as much as possible before we... Yeah. Do our fabulous top five, and, and I'll probably write a top ten and, and carry on doing that from... from I think there. I'm planning to write a top 50. That's my current plan. Ooh, wow. So, <laughs> ambitious. The material is definitely out there, and I'm very excited to do it, so better start getting planning now. Although I never I never do it, like, much like we don't, I never do it in December, like everyone seems to insist on doing. I always find that a bit silly, but... Yeah, it'll be a, an early, a, a earliest January, just because I feel like there's some stuff that comes out in December that you're then immediately just discounting, which seems a bit silly. Or you yeah. have not had enough time to yeah. <laughs> actually listen you've got to, to do it. it. January is the right month, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's move on. <clears throat> I believe he's got something else to talk about. Clive. Um, I have, but I'm just going to be very quick on this one. Um, so, it's a film. It's a, fil- a 2020 film. I'm going to talk about Emma, controversially. Um, possibly controversially, I don't know. Oh, okay. It's a 2020 British period comedy drama directed by Autumn de Wilde. Um, obviously based on uh, Jane Austen's 1815 novel. I'd say, uh, obvious not about the 1815 part there. I've just read that off Wikipedia. Um and it stars Anya Taylor, Taylor Joy, Johnny Flynn, Josh O'Connor, Callum Turner, um, Miranda Hart, and Bill Nye. Um, and I don't have massive loads to say about it, other than it's it's really well shot, um, very pretty film. And I just I don't generally get into period dramas very much, um, but I just really like this one. I thought the characters were really interesting. Um, they were really well played. Johnny <laughs> Flynn, in particular, who plays I think it's Knightley, was particularly great. Um, and whoever plays, I really should have researched something about this. Um, whoever plays Emma is also great. Um, and it's just a, it's absolutely, if we, if we do a top five list, it might end up being on it at the minute, purely because I think I've watched three films from this year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, had it been a year where I'd watched a lot of films, I don't think this would get on it. But it's just one of those, if you're looking for something like light to watch, um, then I'd highly recommend it. I know it's available on all the rental stuff, and I don't know whether it's on any of the streaming things yet. Um, I think we rented it on Google. But it's, um, yeah, just a nice, easy breeze watch, um, entertaining, and I'd say even if, well, God, my phone's talking to me. <laughs> Who's turned up there? My phone says opening web, it's opening up Google.france. I don't know why. Does your does your phone do that every time you open up a new page? Um, no, it doesn't. That would be uh, very irritating. In fact, it's never done this ever, so I'm very confused. Maybe we've just uh, maybe we've just captured <clears throat> the singularity there. Maybe it's, they've just become sentient there. It started. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So yeah, well, I didn't think it, we'd be using the word sentient so much on this podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can never predict what word we're going to use a lot on the podcast. No. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. Uh, if something to watch if you're trying to catch up on 2020 stuff also watched David, Cop- David Copperfield yesterday which I didn't enjoy as much but was also a, you know really? an enjoyable romp hmm? that was that was one I really wanted to watch because it's Armando Iannucci um, but it wasn't it wasn't as good um, it's it's more artsy so you might like that bit of it more um, I didn't enjoy it as much no but I don't know 
I don't know much about the original story at all. So, well, in fact, I knew very little until I read <laughs> the blurb to it. But, you know, I didn't enjoy it as much. It's funny, though. Um, there's some very, very funny moments. You can tell it's Ianucci, um in that regard. But yeah, okay. probably didn't probably didn't enjoy it quite as much as I did, did Emma, to be fair. I'm waiting for it to drop on a streaming service. Uh, I'm not sure <clears throat> I want to pay £5 to rent it or, or whatever. Um, hmm, okay, I'll be watching that. Um, and I don't, I, I can't imagine that you do, but Michael, do you have anything to add on Emma? I'm afraid not, no. Didn't think so, okay. Um, I've actually seen quite a few new films uh, since we last spoke, but... They all deserve proper treatment, so I'm going to leave them. I will mention what I have watched, though. Um, at least two of them will get reviews uh, next week. Um, new Netflix film, The Devil All the Time, starring loads of people, uh, including Tom Holland and Bill Skarsgård, uh, Jason Clark, etc. That'll get a review next week. Um, I've also seen, it's not a new film, but it's newly showing in cinemas in the UK, uh, Bong Joon-ho's orig- first film, Barking Dogs Never Bite. Uh, oh, really? So now- Is that, that's made it in the cinemas? Well, I, I haven't seen <clears> it in <throat> the cinema. I, I streamed it from Curzon yeah. Home Cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah. Now, now I've seen his, his back catalogue. I'll give that a review later as well. Um, the one I'm going to talk about briefly, because I don't want to give it a full review, because anybody who follows me on social media will know what I think, is briefly talk about how freaking great Zodiac is. Um the 2007 David Fincher film. I put out there on uh, Twitter that it is David Fincher's best film, and I asked people to fight me, and they fought me a little bit, but not on not on that claim. Michael, would you like a fight? No, I don't want to fight you because I do love Zodiac, uh, but it's just that Fight Club exists, you know. So I don't think Fight Club's as good. I don't Ooh. know. Ooh. Well, you know I have a soft spot for Fight Club because it was the first time I understood filmmaking as art, as I'm sure I'll have said at yeah. some point. Uh, so it's always going to be unconquerable um, in some sense, I think. Although it is a shame that Fight Club has now become a film that people try to make you embarrassed for liking. Um, much, much the same as the fact that, obviously, I do have a copy of Infinite Jest, here, which in the Twitter sphere makes me a dirty incel. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. In the Twitter in the Twitter sphere, you can be a lot of things for liking you, a lot of you things. You can. I mean, if you can get away with commenting on culture without attracting some sort of snide theories on Twitter, then you, you're doing well. Um, <laughs> but you know, yeah. Uh, but for, yeah, fact. I, I, well, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Fincher. I've always thought his uh, his oeuvre is uh, is right up there in terms of uh, directors. Um, it's a shame that we've had to wait so long for a film from him. I don't know what happened to uh, to Mank. Is it still due out anytime? It is. It's yeah. It's. Uh, I think it's due out pretty soon, actually. Um, I know it's a Netflix film. Um, let me have a look. Uh, Man looks things up on the internet. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it's out this year. Like it. It, had, it was meant to be. Yeah. I just haven't checked it, recently what happened to it. It. it it's had. Um, it certainly had a trailer put out there by Netflix, so I, one would assume that it, it is close to being completed, if not completed already. Um, anyway, I wasn't bringing up Zodiac as his best film to shit on any of his other films. Oh, yeah. Um, purely because I think it's the ultimate procedural. Um, and, I mean, the word... Plus- <laughs> Procedural sounds like it's you know quite boring, but you get quite a lot of these films. 
Um, more recently, something like Spotlight, um, kind of journalism films, films where people are in offices desperately looking things up. Now, I can be a sucker for those films anyway, but I think Zodiac just does it better than anything else. You know, it's got such an electric subject matter, you know, a legitimate unsolved serial killer case that never will be solved. Um, almost, well, almost definitely not. Um, the performances are outstanding and the film has a way of drawing you in. So as the main character, Robert Graysmith, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, becomes more and more obsessed by the case, uh, a case that is not his to be obsessed by, he's a cartoonist, um, the more obsessed you get and there'll be little clues, um, you know, dropped, little hints at an identity that really, um, you know, just give you this 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 surge. Um, I think also uh, Robert Downey Jr. has never been better than this film, and the cinematography is predictably outstanding. Um, I think I think the fact that a lot of people had a problem with the fact that the um, the ending is inconclusive, like the real book or like the real case, um, but to me that makes it all, all the greater and all the more sinister. Um, one particular scene I would like to highlight, which I think is one of my favourite film scenes in all the film, is the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal uh, visits a basement. I won't say any more, just in case anyone hasn't seen it. Do you know the scene I mean? Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to now. I mean, yeah, it's long, should. Clive. I'm going to give you this. It is a long film, so <laughs> if you're setting yourself up for it, make sure you're in the right mood. Um, say a two-and-a-half-hour film, but... Um, there's one particular scene in the basement, which I won't give any context to, which is not a lot happens really, but legitimately spine tingling. Like, will all the hairs on the back of your neck will raise up? Um, and it's so out of the blue as well. But um, I-, I love that film. Um, hopefully, Mank is uh, as good. Any- well, completely different film, of course. Um, by the way, I couldn't find out when it's coming out, but. Um, Oh, it's soon. Although I don't dislike it by any means, are we in agreement that if we leave Alien 3 completely out of the conversation, uh, the cu- curious case of Benjamin Button is probably his, his lowest-ranked film. Oh, Am- easily, yeah. Easily. Amongst, a pa- amongst a packed field. It doesn't feel like a David Fincher film. And again, like you said, not counting Alien 3, which he didn't have a huge amount of editorial control over in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel like his film at all. Maybe not a bad film, but it feels like something Robert Zemeckis would do, which I don't mean as a diss. Although he was recently dissed in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which we haven't talked about yet. No, well, that's it's funny that you mentioned that, actually, because that's a film I made some notes about to talk about. But again, uh, and this is this is my fault, obviously, for letting it hamstring me, but the conversation around that film on social media also made me think it was too toxic to talk about well we'll detoxify that next week maybe and for the record (laughs) i I liked it i thought it was um perfectly good film but uh yeah we can talk about it more but it seemed like to me people were seeing things that i could not see in that film um i also liked it maybe without loving it maybe i think possibly i had the opinion of it that you might have had about anomalisa Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense I admired it rather than loved it but um, yeah I know what you mean there has been a bit of an atmosphere around the film yeah for, for whatever reason yep mm-hmm. okay 
Cool. I feel we've had I feel we've had some productive discussions today. Um, not for can me I, to say, really, but you know. Um, I'd absolutely agree with that. Can I just add one other thing? Go for it. I just want to mention. I think we should mention how, in terms of right now, things to watch week to week. Um, you can't do much better than Frankie Boyle's New World Order. Uh, the ending of which this past week, uh, Frankie usually does a a monologue at the end of each show and the one that he did in the previous episode this week was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life I still haven't watched him I really need to on my list would, would you agree with that Alex? Uh, yes I mean I watch it every week I've watched the latest one outstanding um, I will say though it does it, it does suffer a little bit from the lack of an audience I find it just as funny don't get me wrong oh, yeah. but I think I think um, his fellow comedians are laughing at his jokes, but it, it almost feels a little um, stifled, which is I not know. fair because the material itself is hilarious. But um, Yeah, I, I would agree with that, yeah. Unfortunately, it's inevitable now, isn't it? But I do think it benefits more. Miles Jupp has been there for three of the four episodes so far this series. I think it does better when he's there because he really embraces the jokes and you can tell it's extremely genuine. Uh, and his, his, his laughing is very infectious. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, ev- everyone involved um, was basically destroyed by the ending sequence of of this recent episode, including Frankie himself, which never happens. So I think that, that was a seal of quality. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm looking forward to watching those. Yeah. Cool. Clive, any anything else you would like to add before we end this the end this pod this week? No, not massively. I've like I said, I've been listening to loads of new, new more new albums. So hopefully, probably from the next pod on, I'll have um, some twenty twenty. I say new. I mean twenty twenty released albums to to talk about. Um, possibly Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters next week. We'll see. Oh. Which I really, 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 really like. Should we book that in? I haven't talked about that yet either, have I? And I know Alex has heard it as well. I have. I heard it before you did. Yeah, albeit albeit on your recommendation, to be fair. <laughs> well, on Great. Pitchfork's recommendation. Paul Pitchfork's, yeah. <laughs> I waited for the CD release as usual. Okay, yeah, standard. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> let's book it in for next week. Massive. Okay, um, we're coming up on that time. Um, mm. He's already plugged his album. Now he's got to plug the podcast. Clive Fisher, take it away. It's plug. I'm holding a mask, actually. Maybe I could do it with a mask on. Yeah, go for it. See if it sounds any different. I mean, no, it probably will. No queefs again. No queefs. Let us down. I'll oh, ask you. The queefs have dried up. I definitely, I definitely sound more muffled. Right, masks on. The Corona edition. So don't worry if you've caught Corona for the rest of the podcast. You're safe for this bit. Plug time. Head on over to at Stick Around Podcast on the Twitters. And you can find out everything, anything we do. It's the best place to follow us because whatever we do, it will go on there. When there's an episode, when there's a new article, it's always on there. You can go stickaroundpodcast.com for the website, um, which has got lovely articles on it, including my top albums of each year, which is now just on 1974. So we're halfway through the 70s. And I think it was the best year yet. So go check that out. Um, possibly. I swear, yeah, I swear like, you're saying that about every year at the moment, which is no bad thing at all. It feels like it's, uh, it feels like no, the, the, quali- the quality is ramping up. Yeah, the one the seventies is definitely ramping up. I think. I think it was 67, 72, 74 of the years that are sticking out of my head, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I gave two albums in 1974 10 out of 10, and that rarely... I think that's happened once before. Wow. So that's pretty good. Um, so go check that out. The 1975 will be coming at some point. I've not even started it yet, so probably be a couple of weeks yet. Um, and you can listen to every episode on there. You can contact the show by pressing contact. You can also follow us on Facebook, which is like a regurgitated Twitter feed. I should probably check that that's still working because I've not been on it. Um, you can also find us on... You can just email us, stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram. Uh, I feel like that's probably it. But best thing to do, head on to iTunes, give us a five-star review or a one-star review, or tell your friends to listen. It Great doesn't have to, to be all. You can do all of those. Oh, oh, just do all of them, yeah. Yeah. Even better. Because chances are you've probably only got a, a finite amount of friends. Probably, let's, let's be honest, three. If you listen oh. to this, um, well, I was most. discussing the, on that point, Clive. By the way, I was discussing this the other day. I feel that there are rankings among friends. You've got friends who are kind of close <laughs> people you're close to, who you tell your secrets to. Then you've got mates, people you're close to, but maybe only you know you'd see them for events. You wouldn't go to them with your troubles. Then you've got acquaintances, people you know the name of. You might go for a drink with. Do you agree with my classification system? Um, it's interesting. I've just taken my mask off now because it was getting annoying, as it does. Uh, I felt like I was in Sainsbury's. Um, <laughs> no one likes feeling like they're in Sainsbury's all the time, for fuck's sake. Um, that's only because it's the nearest shop, by the way. Not that... Yeah, um, not they, that they, see- they haven't paid us anything. Well, I don't seek out the most expensive supermarket for the crack of it. So you can't be asked to walk you have supermarket there. rankings as well as mates. <laughs> but yeah, I, I you agree. actually do though, yeah. don't you? <laughs> um, I don't know about the. There's definitely friends and acquaintances. Acquaintances, I wouldn't even bother. I'm very. I wouldn't even bother going for drinks, really. And I, I'm one of these people who doesn't have any, and I haven't had. I've made one f- friend that I've kept from work <laughs> throughout my entire working career. <laughs> um, just because I generally like to split the two things apart. And if you're a person yeah. at work, you've got a very slim chance of becoming my friend because I will associate you with work and therefore you're <laughs> immediately bad. Tell you what, Dave from accounting has a uh, tear rolling down his cheek now listening to this. <laughs> he thought you were close. <laughs> no, to be fair, I've got a, a, a friend that I, I like at the minute um, who doesn't listen to this, but if he did, hi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just, just uh, to be fair, at the minute it doesn't. At the minute, it's not so much of a big issue because I don't find my work at the minute I really like, and it's not stressful. Whereas, but when I was teaching, I was just like, no, I do not want to see anything. When I leave that door on Friday, I don't. I want to fucking forget it exists. He's put. Someone's he's dropped, put up firewalls. Someone's <laughs> dropped a bomb on it. Well, when it's empty, uh, I don't want. I don't want everyone dead. Um, I don't want. God. The last thing I want to do is go around for a barbecue with all my teachers because, oh, God, we're all just going to talk about work and I find it really stressful and, oh, no. Whereas now I should probably stop having that, putting that firewall up, as you say, Michael. What have I, what have I, what door have I opened here? Uh, let's shut it. Um, can, I, can I just say, <laughs> can I just add add something before we finish? Uh, yeah, go Clive, on. Clive talking about his article series reminded me of something funny I saw recently, again, on Twitter. Uh, I can't remember which artist it was now. I feel like it was either completely different artist, but I feel like it was either Neil Young or Brian Eno. I don't know why, but anyway, um, the head the headline of an article was like so and so, whichever artist it was, 
um, releases previously unreleased 1975 album, and then someone had just replied to it saying, "This sounds nothing like the 1975." <laughs> <laughs> now that probably was Neil Young, and it probably was. Um, was it definitely 1975? Well, yeah, it was for the joke to work, but I can't yeah, remember who yeah, the artist was. Been. Can't remember who the artist was. Well, Neil Young has an does have an album out in '75, and he went through a phase of refusing to put stuff on CD because um, he thought the sound quality wasn't as good, so it didn't get released. Yeah, doesn't he have that live album that isn't available on press anywhere? I think. Um, yeah, but he must have changed his mind on that because I've been listening to them on streaming platforms. So, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, got- and the interesting thing is, on 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 the beach, he deliberately used things like like used the monitor mixes to make it sound more raw. Yeah, uh, which then makes yeah. it interesting for him not to want it on a CD. But. That was that was well, yeah, that was partly partly a backlash against Harvest, I think, which he considered mm. to be far too beige. Uh, but on on the beach is one of my favorite albums ever. It's a fabulous album. Yeah, can't be mm. said. Um, so yeah, I imagine it probably was Neil Young. But yeah, that's a good joke. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just wanted to add that. Why are they and called was, the 1975? Is there a? It's uh, oh, it's a reference from. It's definitely a reference from a beat poet, but I've forgotten which one. Uh, okay. <laughs> or is it a beat poet? It might be Kerouac. I've got a feeling. It's, oh, it's, look it's Kerouac, someone, so. someone from that era. Can't remember who. I should know that, really, shouldn't I? Hang on. Big Kerouac fan, yeah. so I should As know I, that if it was him. Well, but, let me just check this quickly. But, we're not. We're not going anywhere till I confirm. We're not. Between the two of you, you should have had this. I know. If it's Kerouac, anyway. Um, Let's have a look. Tense. Very tense. Quite hard to find this. It is. Anyone got any other guesses while I look? Um, Burroughs. Who else is a beat poet? Yeah, I was thinking Ginsberg, but I don't think it is. (laughs) Is it definitely to do with beat poetry? No, it's that era though. It's an author from the sixties. I'm just trying to think. It's someone of the counterculture. No, it is Kerouac. So, what, what did you reference it in? Oh, or is it just a note that was written on a copy of On the Road? So it might be nothing to do with Kerouac. <laughs> right. It's that that is the name less interesting by... than I hoped. <laughs> It is, a deranged it? and mental scribblings found on the back page of the book <laughs> On the Road by Jack Kerouac. So is that part of the is that part of the package, or is that just something someone else wrote? I don't know. First <laughs> of June, the nineteen seventy five. Yeah, I don't know. It's not really clear. No. Yeah, disappointing. Oh well. Um, let's make them up a new story for for next time, and then can write it into their history. Apparently they're called the 1975 because Clive's yet to be written written article about 1975 was so inspirational. That's the reason they started a band. Boom. There we go. Time travel. On on that bombshell. (laughs) He's been Clive Fisher. Oi. Bye. He's been Michael Johnson. Indeed. And I've been Alex Wayne. Your favourite. See you next time. Um, And remember to stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around